And we are rolling live on all the usual channels. And today we have on the show four-time Olympian Ruben Gonzalez. And here we go. <laughs> Another day, another Olympian in the house. Ruben, thank you for making the time, brother. Hey, it's great to be here, Mark. I'm, I'm excited. I, I'm, I'm excited, and I, and I don't say that to everybody uh, when I'm <laughs> on a podcast. I don't, but uh, when I, uh, like I was just telling you, I, I live in Colorado Springs, which is a military town, lots, and lots of military people end up retiring here because it's so beautiful. And uh, when I found out what you do, I, I I got excited about your mission, so I'm I'm happy to be a part of it. Well, it's uh, so glad to have you on. And what I was finding when I was just looking at uh, pre-show, looking at a couple of your videos, um, I made a connection. We talk about mindset, and in the military, it has to be a a mindset of overcome, uh, adapt to overcome, and. I'm stumbling this morning. That's a first. I guess that's because I only had half my coffee so far. It's my fault. <laughs> but um, improvise, adapt, and overcome. And I realized that there's another link there as well. Uh, one of your uh, talks, you're talking about it's not the goal so much. It's the person that you have to become in order to pursue that goal. And that's another link between an Olympian mindset and a military mindset as well, because not everybody makes it. Not everybody makes it uh, um, to out of battle school. Not everybody makes it to the Olympics. Very, very few, like uh, 0.001% of all that uh, go down that road or whatever the number is. So uh, where I'd like to start is who were you before the Olympic journey? And who did you have to become to become Olympian as, as sure. a person? It, it's funny that you mentioned that uh, Zig, Zig Ziglar used to say, you have to be before you can do. Yeah. And then you have to do before you can have. Right. And everyone wants that have without having to do or be. Right. But no, you got to pay the price. And so uh, I was a uh, <clears throat> I was born in Argentina. I was an oil brat. My dad was a chemical engineer with Exxon. And we got transferred to the States back in 68. I was six years old. We were in Queens, New York, a couple of years. Then we went to Houston, Venezuela, back to Houston. And uh, I couldn't stand the heat and moved to Colorado about 10 years ago. And this is heaven after Houston. Um, and Houston so awesome. I, um, <laughs> it's brutal and it's, it's hot and humid, <laughs> sticky. And yeah. so, um, when I was, uh, when I was 10 years old, actually let me backtrack. I, you know, we, I spoke Spanish and so school was really tough because I didn't speak English. And so I, I love to read books. I love to read adventure books. Uh, I had all the Jules Verne books uh, around the world in 80 days, 20,000 yeah. leads under the sea, all these books about kids that led adventurous lives. And so when we moved out here, we got them in, we already had them in Spanish. Now we got them in English too, got a tutor, put it all together. And, you know, a couple of years later, I'm speaking English and, and, um, and I would go to school and I show the, my books to them, you know, and my, my friends, I said, I want my life to be like a book. Right. Because I wanted to be an adventure and I always had the antennas looking for the adventure. I'll never forget when I was 10 years old, I'm watching the Olympics on TV. The, 
It was the uh, 1972 Sapporo, Japan uh, Winter Olympics. And I'm sitting on the sofa with my younger brother, Marcelo. And it's like, man, look at those skiers, man. They're flying down the mountain. And look at the people. They're going crazy with the cowbells, man. The Olympics, that's what I'm going to do. And that's when I caught the dream. That was going to be my adventure. But the problem is I'm not a great athlete. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a bit of a challenge. I, I mean, I, I, I can't run fast. I can't jump high. I'm not. I'm like your neighbor. I mean, really. And so um, I didn't believe it was possible. I was on the bench for kickball. So I had a, a belief problem, right? Yeah. And I talked about it, about the Olympics. And after a couple of years, my dad got fed up with me talking to talk, not walking to walk. And he, he says, you like to read books. He did something really smart. He said uh, he knew that I was a hardhead and that I probably would reject anything he, he told me directly, right? So rather than give me the the information directly, he gave it to me indirectly. He says, you like to read books, why don't you read some biographies? If you'll study the lives of great people, you'll figure out what works, what doesn't work in life, because success leaves clues. And I thought, hmm, success leaves clues, that's pretty good. You know, I, I don't have to make all the mistakes by myself. <laughs> I can learn from somebody else. So I started reading them, and I loved them because they're true life adventures, right? They were just like my old books, but they were true life. Yeah. And after a while, I I realized it's always the same story. It's always the story of somebody had a dream and they had a struggle and they had their victory. It was always dream, struggle, victory. And I, I guess I realized that I can't work on 20 different things, but maybe I can work on one thing. What's one thing that all these people have in common? And what I kept seeing was perseverance. They refused to quit. They're just a bunch of hardheads, right? And the good news was my mom always called me a hardhead, right? So I thought, hey, maybe I got, I got something. Stuff. I got what it takes here. And so I made a decision as a 12 year old from today on, Ruben doesn't quit anything, right? Because I realized, you know, um, quitting, you quit, it's the end of the dream. It's all over, right? But if you persevere, there's no guarantees, but at least you're still in the game, you still have a shot. And by high school, my nickname was Bulldog. Kids started calling me Bulldog because I was tenacious. And, um, and, and the other thing my dad always pushed or taught me or pointed out was it was the books you read and the people you hang around with, right? He said, those two things will determine if you make your dream come true because um, yeah, it's a, you, you don't want to hang around whiners and complainers and, you know, those people. You want to hang around winners, successful people, because they think big. They're always focusing on the dream. They don't focus on the obstacle, right? Yeah, the, and the rule um, of five is so important. And yeah, I, it is. And that's probably the biggest challenge. I know I'm, I'm throwing you off a little, but uh, that's all right. Um, We're going to go all over the place. And, and, uh, and I'm right, so ADD. I mean, I got, I'll go tangents off my tangents. <laughs> no, I just, I just wanted to pause at this point, Ruben, because the rule of five is probably the hardest rule to follow. Because to follow it, and uh, Bob Proctor um, uh, says this, and I've experienced it in my own life. That if you want to go somewhere that other people aren't going, you're going to be losing friends. And you have to be prepared to lose friends in order to follow the rule of five, which is controlling your environment, the sum total of the five people you hang around with the most. And people don't spend enough time really considering that, you know, if you want to soar the eagles, you can't hang out with the turkeys kind of stuff. But they don't spend enough time really understanding what that means. It means you got to let people go. People yeah. that you love sometimes associate and, with those winners and disassociate from the other guys, the ones that are well, pulling you back. You have to, even if you love them, and that's that's the challenge. But I love them, but they're my friends. But I, but we've been friends since we we're three years old. But are they serving you? Right. Because a real friend 
lifts you up, doesn't try to hold you back. And that's the hard part about the rule of five and deciding on who you associate with. It's, uh, it's, it's brutally hard, but it's critical. The, the reason um, that it works is because you, you pick up their habits, right? You hang around people that have already done what you want to do. You start picking up their habits and you start doing the things they do. And, yeah. and that gets you in the right direction. And jokingly, but, but it works. I tell people when I'm on stage and we're talking about this, I say, look, you want to lose 10 pounds? You want to lose 20 pounds? You know what you do? The best diet in the world? Hang around skinny people, right? <laughs> You'll be riding bikes and eating salad. You won't even know the, 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 the fat will just melt off and, and you won't even notice it, right? Yeah, don't cool. hang out with the hobbits. Second breakfast and third breakfast and noonsies. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and so I grew. I didn't know I was doing this, but by following those people, right? And my dad said, he says, it's going to be tough, right? You're going to, you know, you'll feel awkward. You feel like you don't belong, right? Uh, but force yourself to hang around those winners because if you do, it'll it, it'll change you, right? Because you'll you'll start believing in yourself because they believe in you. And, and that's powerful. And so over a period of about 10 years, okay, because this doesn't happen overnight. I didn't know it, but I was growing on the inside, right? Ruben was changing. And I was taking bigger risks and life started getting more interesting. And then when I was 21, I'm watching the Olympics again. First time I saw it was when I was 10. Now when I'm 21, I'm watching the, the, the Sarajevo, 1984 Sarajevo Olympics. And I see Scott Hamilton win the gold medal. And he gave me hope. I thought if that little guy can win, I can at least play. I'm going to be in the next Olympics no matter what. I just got to find a sport, right? So yeah. I always had the desire, but I didn't have the belief. And I wrote my first book that I wrote is called the, the Courage to Succeed. And I believe that you have to have two types of courage to reach your dream. You have to have the courage to get started. And everything's hard at the beginning, right? Because you have no, no skills. And so you have to have this courage to, to not quit, the courage to endure, the courage to stay in the game long enough to learn those skills. And then you use the skills to reach the dream. But that takes time. And so I always had the desire, but I didn't have the belief. And so the courage to get started comes from believing it's possible. Courage to not quit, it's your desire. How badly do you want it? And so um, I see Scott Hamilton and everything changed. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that. And so I went to the library and I get this big book about the Olympics. I'm looking at the summer sports. It took me five minutes to realize you got to be Superman to do any of these things. No way. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started looking at the winter sports and I thought, you know, I'm about to put together a plan for the next four years it probably makes sense to base the plan on my strengths. My strengths, not athleticism. I'm just okay athlete. My strengths, perseverance, right? Uh, I'm bulldog. So I thought I need to find a sport that's so tough. A sport's got so many broken bones in it. There'd be a lot of quitters, right? <laughs> Only Nobody I'm else wants to do this shit. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll, I'll ride the attrition rate all the way to the top. And so I had it down yeah. to ski jump, bobsled, <laughs> luge. <laughs> Lived in Houston. No way. I mean, I never skied before. Ski jump would have been suicide. Yeah, not bobsled. a lot of skiing in Houston. No, not much. And so uh, in bobsled, you know, we're going to find three other guys nuts in Houston won't do that. And so that left a luge. I'd never seen it on TV. I had a little picture of a guy in a luge and I thought that's the one for me. Did, I didn't you, know consider, the track did you say, Excuse did you consider skeleton? They didn't have skeleton. Skeleton was an Olympic sport back then. It, it, oh, okay. it became an Olympic. Well, it was an Olympic sport. It was called Cresta back in the forties. And then it oh. got kicked out. And then it came back in, uh, in 2002, the, the uh, Salt Lake City Olympics. And But luge is better for me because um, luge is counterintuitive. 
If you take all the runs between luge, bobsled, and skeleton, we account for 70% of the injuries. So that's good for perseverance. Okay. <laughs> skeleton is, uh, you know, you have that running start. And so you have to be fast, right? You have to be fast to get that running start. And, and usually they're short little sprinters that do that because you're holding the sled with your arm or you're a fast, tall guy with really long arms. <laughs> and so that one wouldn't have worked. And so I uh, think it, it worked out that, you know, luge is, uh, is very hard to learn. And a lot of, uh, I tell people, skeleton is like um, racquetball, right? You can go racquetball and you can have fun the first day. You can play a game the first day. You're lousy. It's still going to take you years to, 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 to win, but you're having fun. Luge yeah. is tennis. You know, you you need you need instruction. You need a coach because that net keeps getting in the way. And it, it tennis is you know it's, it's a it's a harder learning curve, and that's what we are. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to keep going. Oh, I can. I, let me tell you, man, I can keep going. But, <laughs> but what are we talking about? I mean, uh... <laughs> well, now we're on perseverance. So you, you okay. chose you chose luge because all you had to be is hard headed. Now you broke a lot of bones, didn't you? Yeah, the, you had, see, had a few had a few wrecks. How many wrecks do you think you had learning well, luge first year? Uh, um, so I did. You know, I, I choose the luge. I didn't even know where the track was. <laughs> so I wrote Sports Sports Illustrated a letter. I asked them where do you go learn how to luge, and they actually wrote back. They said Lake Placid, New York. And they sent me this picture. Hang on a second. I'm, well, I'm just going to show you. I'm in my office here. I'll just show you. All right. See that picture under Salt Lake 2002? That's a guy on a luge, okay? They sent right me that back. picture. And 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 he said, by the way, I read, okay? You just had Jonathan Edwards, too. I read a lot. We both read a lot, okay? Because we're constantly trying to sh you know, sharpen the saw. And so they sent me that picture. As soon as I got it, I put it on the on the frame right in front of my bed in my bedroom. First person I saw in the morning was the luge man. He reminded me, hey, I'm going for the Olympics, right? I got to eat right. I got to hang around winners, read good books, right? Because that's for mental strength. Work out. At night, before I shut off the lights, last person I saw was the luge man. So what do you think I dreamt about at night? <laughs> luge, Olympics. He kept me going. That was basic goal setting right there. I mean, it's it's what teenagers do, right? They put They, they put their goals on the wall. And then uh, life starts kicking them in the teeth, and you know, as adults, they start pulling those. Eh, I don't, I, I don't need that 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 Mustang. You know, I just need to get from point A to point B. I, I, I just get a Yugo, right? <laughs> and every time you pull one of those off the wall, it's like you're ripping your heart. And I put them back up there, you know, because if you don't, that reminds you where you want to go. And so, uh, if, if you if you don't have that daily reminder, right, then life happens. Six months go by, a year goes by, a year and a half. And then you realize, oh, yeah, I was going for the Olympics. I totally forgot. <laughs> you know, I just blew a year and a half. It sounds stupid, but that's how it works. And yeah. so I called Lake Placid. I asked him, where do you go learn how to luge? Actually, I asked, I asked uh, Sports Illustrated. I asked him, uh, I'm an athlete here in Houston. I want to learn how to luge. So I'm in the Olympics in four years. Will you help me? And the guy goes, how old are you? So I said, 21. And he started laughing. He said, forget it, man. We start them off and they're eight, nine, 10 years old. By now, I should have 10 years experience. There's no way. I didn't know what to do. The only thing I knew is that hanging up is not an option, right? That would have been the end of the dream. So I just kept them on the phone. I just kept talking. And finally, he said, you know, we got a class starting up for beginners in a couple of weeks. Be there, right? And so I go. It's just a few couple of months before I saw Scott, uh, you know, after I saw Scott Hamilton on TV, I'm in 
Lake Placid, and it's the springtime, and uh, it's a loose track with no ice. They're going to teach us on wheels. They put Did us the dreams start to feel a bit more real and a bit more achievable at that point? Oh my! I still remember the first time I sat on that sled, you know, and I thought, oh my gosh, this, this is it. We're getting started, right? Half mile point from the, you know, the old bobsled track. We're going 50, 60 miles an hour. Uh, no, not 50, 50, 50, 55. And uh, on concrete, all we're wearing is tennis shoes, shorts, and a t-shirt. That's it. <laughs> and a helmet, but that's just for decoration. It's just to make yeah. the lawyers happy. And so um, they put me in a class with 15 other guys, and every day there's a couple less showing up, right? And by the end of the first year, I'm the only one left in that group. I couldn't believe it. They're quitting on their dream. And um, and, and and then, you know, we, were, we did the wheels training for a couple of weeks just to learn the basics of learning how to steer a luge. Um, but the guy said, you know, before you come to Lake Placid, you need to know two things. Uh, no, number one, you want to do it at your age? You want to do it in just four years? It, it, it's brutal. Nine out of 10 people quit. <laughs> when you said that, I started smiling. I thought, wow, this works right into my plan. You know? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> What's the second thing? Expect to break some bones. And I said, great. You know, and he got real quiet for a long time. He goes, what's wrong with you, man? I just told you you're going to break some bones. I told him, I hope it's a hundred times harder what you're telling me. Because because the harder it is, the easier it is for me. Because I'm not a quitter. I, I'm bulldog, right? And so that was my 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 image. My self-image is I don't quit, right? And I was praying that the uh, that, that the Germans would quit. <laughs> but I didn't pray hard enough. Uh, they show up, they race, they pick up their medals. They're going to smile, you know. Uh, where am I going to put this medal? That's, they got a new problem in life. But I broke my, they, they, he said, we're going to have to compress 10, 10 years of learning into just two years. Because the last two years, you have to be competing in the World Cup circuit to get these points. Just like NASCAR, you get points for every race, depending how you did. And right before the Olympics, they tally up those last two years. Back then, it was top 50 get to go. 51 watches it on TV. So we yeah. could go to Lake Placid. And I said, yeah, man, I'm there. And so it, the first two years since, it, since I was cramming and they're pushing me and it's a counterintuitive sport to begin with, uh, I broke my, I was crashing four out of five times. I was on ice. Wow. Uh, broke my foot twice, my knee, my elbow, my hand, my thumb, a couple of ribs, but I just kept coming back, you know, and I'm really glad that this guy didn't candy coat it when he was, you know, he was trying to talk me out of it, right? He was doing the opposite, but it, Made me realize when I hung up, I thought, whoa, this is going to be tougher than I thought. You know, he's saying, I'm, I, he didn't say I might break bones. He says, you will break bones. Right. And I thought, OK, well, how am I going to handle it? Right. When I break a bone. Right. What's my contingency plan? And I, I didn't know that word before, but I, what am I going to do? And I thought, hmm, well, I've broken bones before. <laughs> you wear a cast for six weeks. Right. You take off the cast and it's uh, healed up and stronger than before. So when you really think about it, a broken bone is just a temporary inconvenience. So I reframed it, right? I had, I knew how I was going to handle it. So well, I'm pretty much indestructible body. now with all those broken bones. Yeah, I mean, I've been through it. I know what it's like. And so these other guys were quitting because they had a bruise. Maybe they didn't want it badly enough. Maybe, maybe they didn't think about what if, right? How am I going to handle it? But uh, it's important, you know, when you're going to go into battle to, you know, think about those things. It makes you stronger inside. The number one rule in a knife fight is that you're going to get cut. Accept it before you go into it. And uh, um, otherwise, you're going to flinch when it happens. Yeah. The, 
the, the idea of if you take the easy road, there, there's no reward uh, for that. It's like, yay, I achieved it. Well, how hard was it? If it wasn't hard, um, the harder it is, the, the better you get to feel about yourself for having done it. When I went through battle school, about one third would pass. The other two thirds would not make it through the 16 week battle school. And um, they break mentally or physically, uh, something would happen and, or, or they just wouldn't be able to, con- to continue. Um, so when you achieve that, you're like, oh, geez, one third. And, and that's me. I made it. It's a pretty good feeling. And it's sure. like that with all the, uh, the high speed, low drag courses, whether it be reconnaissance or whatever, a very small percentage actually pass. Most fail. So if you're yeah. the one that passes, you know, um, even if it's on the second or third time, but if you're the one that passes, then it's worth something. If it was yeah. easy and you get the badge anyway, uh, it just, it, it's just not worth it as much. Yeah. You're faking yourself out. And, and yeah. there's so many people that, that run their whole lives that way. You know, uh, they're just trying to collect all these little titles, but they're things that, that really, like you said, they, they weren't hard and they don't mean anything. And, and no, consequently nobody cares. <laughs> well, so, it's like those karate black belts. Yeah. Get your black belt in six months. There wow. you go. Or even four years, four years for a black belt. Now nah, it takes longer to get a real black belt. Yeah. My kids did judo. And um, when we moved here to Colorado Springs, they started doing judo at the Olympic Training Center. They had a grassroots program for, for kids. Our, our son was six and our daughter was 10 at the time. And they were in the program for seven years. And in that program for judo, and it was run by the first American to win a, a medal in the Olympics in the sport of, 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 of judo, right? He won the bronze in L.A. And he's the national coach, right? I mean, they would finish their... Uh, the, 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 the resident athletes would be training, right? And they're, you know, they're fighting and they'd finish their practice that couple of days a week that we went. And if there was a bunch of kids that showed up that day, he'd grab a couple of the, you know, Olympians sometimes and they were going to help out. So they're in this great atmosphere. And if you want to get your black belt, he said, yeah, it's about 20 years. And then and he was like eighth Dan, right? So he's been doing it for a lifetime. So uh, I, I totally agree. I use that, 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 uh, a Taekwondo four-year black belt, you know, he better not tangle with a green belt judo guy because he's not going to win. <laughs> it goes back to, it's about the journey, not the destination. Uh, yeah. I just put on um, Facebook the other day that, hey, look, 365 days in a row of learning French. Can I speak French? Hell no. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I could speak a lot more than I did a year ago. But the point is, is look, 365 days without skipping a day. That yeah. that's the win. And yeah. all I have to do, like you, is not quit. And maybe I'll be speaking French in two years. Maybe it'll be five years. It doesn't matter. All I have to do is not quit, and I'll yeah. get there at some point. It doesn't matter how long it takes. Just do yeah. the damn work. Yeah, exactly. Got to do the work. You got to get your licks in. You got to get your mat time. Now he does. Uh, he does wrestling now right for for the high school and so you gotta and so let, let me tell you about about my son before before we go somewhere else because it fits here when we first went coach said hey we're gonna have to manage his expectations because boys they don't uh, develop as quickly as girls and she's you know his sister's four years older so you know we gotta keep him in the game okay says, whatever you say coach and uh 
and Gabby, Gabriella, his sister. She had this little shimmy move she'd do and put the other person off balance and she'd throw them and she's winning gold medals left and right, right? They have these tournaments every three three months uh, with, with dojos around the state, sometimes Wyoming. And Grayson, our son, the first six tournaments, year and a half, he didn't win a single fight, okay? I mean, I, uh, I used to joke with him. I said, man, you know what the ceiling of every dojo looks like because you're always on your back, man. <laughs> but don't quit on me, okay? You're growing on the inside. It's going to pop out one of these days. Just keep doing it. Just listen to Coach. And before the seventh tournament, Coach says, hey, he's starting to get it. And he wins, right? He wins that tournament. He comes and he's showing me his medal. And uh, he's all poofed up. And I said, yeah, 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 metal's cool. But you know what I'm really proud of? You stuck it out, man. You didn't quit when 99% of the people quit, okay? And so that's what makes you a champion. You take that mindset and that attitude into anything in your life, and you're going places, buddy. And so um, and they both got to uh, – they, they, they both were state champs twice, uh, you know, for, for kids, right, for, for their age and weight group. But um, you stay in the game long enough, you do learn the skills. So you'll and, be you'll be doing this in French from Montreal one of these days. I just know yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Eventually, you know, and but and I get there when I get there. You know, uh, but the, just my only goal is to not quit. My only goal is to do it every day, and uh, and that's the only goal I need, because I, I will reach the destination at some point. Yeah. Just, is this Duolingo? Yeah, just Duolingo. I got yeah. the the premium, paid the eighty yeah. bucks for the year, but it's free, you know. And um, and it's a weird thing to start at the age of fifty, but I'm doing it anyway. And sure. um, better than better than never doing it. And yeah, I'm well, already when you're fifty five. To... You're gonna have five years worth of interview. Well, that's yeah. it. I'll be Frenching it up by the time I'm fifty five, uh, as opposed to not. Yeah. And uh, I'm already trying to figure out what's the next one I'm going to learn after this. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Very cool. The, and these uh, are success principles, guys. You're listening to this, you know, success principles, just a set of rules that work for anyone, anywhere, anytime. You know, uh, that's what you learn when you listen to this show. Well, it's it's eating the elephant, too. So the the whole tie in when a friend of mine first said, Hey, why don't you get some Olympians on the show? <laughs> I thought, hey, that's a good idea. But the but the tie-in is two things. One is the Olympic mindset to achieve the goal of overcoming PTSD because it's a bitch. I mean, it it is the biggest, ugliest. It's not unlike your story of uh, okay, this is where we're going, but you're going to be breaking some bones. Okay, just accept it before we start, and and this is gonna yeah. suck, and away we go. And that's what therapy is like for PTSD. It is brutal, and I won't say <laughs> that it's not to anybody. It won't sugarcoat right. it, but it's worth yeah. it. It's brutal yeah. and ugly, but it's worth it. And the cost of not doing it is the mm -hmm. same as the cost of not following any dream, because if you don't, then you're gonna be uh, 50, Regret. 60, 70 years old, going, I coulda, shoulda, woulda. Yeah. And you yeah. never tried. No, I don't want that. And, and so and when I was, um, uh, I did Calgary, 88, on yeah. my first one, then Albertville, France, 92. Then I quit for six years and uh, coach talked me into it and started training again, made Salt Lake City, 2002. And I started speaking. And so that kept me busy for six years. And so I didn't, another six, seven years, I, I was done. And then I started training for, um, for Vancouver. And Vancouver, I was 47. 
Uh, everybody thought I was a coach. They would, they would ask me that, you know, hey, where are you coaching? No, I mean, they were asking me that in in in, in Salt Lake when I was 39, okay? Because yeah. the Olympic Village is like a college where everybody's in shape. <laughs> and, I, and I felt like dad coming to visit the kids in college. <laughs> but, um, uh, and it keeps getting smaller. Back Calgary and Alberville's top 50 got to go. But they keep adding sports and they want to keep it at 3,000 athletes in the winter and 10,000 in the summer. So there's less slots per sport. So then it became 40. And now Beijing is top 35. And uh, that's, just, that's just how it is. And so, uh, but when I was, when I decided to start going for, for Vancouver, uh, I, I actually, and I'm not going to name names, but I actually had a couple of pretty big name speakers tell me, what are you doing? You know, uh, don't go for Vancouver. If you don't make it, it's going to look bad. I said, are you kidding, man? I mean, I'm going to give it everything I got. Do and if I don't make it here. Oh my God. Hey, my printer just went off. They're doing printing from up to top. That's all right. Hang on a so, um, oh my gosh, I lost respect for that guy. And, and I said, look, man, if I don't make it, it's, it's not really, I want to make it right. And I hope to make it. And I think I'm going to make it, but even three, three months before uh, people would ask me in a Q and a, you know, Hey, are you going to make the Olympics? And I said, I don't know. It's about 50, 50. I'm doing everything I can, but you know, I don't know what the other guys are doing. Right. And so um, but you dig so deep inside when you're going for a dream that you start finding things about yourself. You didn't even know you had. Right. These God given gifts. And so whether you make the dream or not, you're a better person for putting yourself through that. So that's what it's really about. You know, the dream is like a little carrot to get you to do that hard stuff that you need to do to grow. And so. Um, so, yeah, got to keep going for it. The uh, and what you said in the in the beginning too. If you don't believe it's possible, you won't even try. I I keep the, even at the age of fifty one. I keep looking back to the um, the little engine that good. I swear I love that book so much. Mm -hmm. I probably read it a hundred times as a kid, <laughs> and um, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Yeah. And, and that's a lesson that is always applicable because you have to start there. You have to start with the idea that it's possible. But um, what I've discovered is that you won't think it's possible if your self-esteem isn't at that level. So you have to build the self-esteem is where, you, where it has to start. Yeah. Because um, you only can rise to the level that you think you're at. If you don't yeah. think you're there, you can't rise to it. And you treat yourself the way that you believe to, you deserve to be treated, which is why I'm so big on find something that you can keep a promise to yourself, whether it's making your bed every morning, uh, learning a language every day, just something where you're keeping a promise to yourself every day. And that is how you build self-esteem. That's how your, um, what is possible for you becomes bigger. And, yep. and, and the size of your goals are directly proportionate to the size of how you feel about yourself. And it doesn't seem like you had to overcome that uh, as a kid. It just, you just saw it at 12 and you said, yep, I'm doing that. And that's that. Well, no, when I, at 12, I, 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 I had a pipe dream. I, I still didn't think it was possible. I didn't think it was possible until I was 21 when I saw Scott yeah. Hamilton. And, and uh, you know, Scott Hamilton's household name in the States. But in Canada, you guys may not everybody may know, but he, he's about five foot one, weighed 110 pounds, soaking wet. And he wins the gold medal. And I like them for two reasons, you know, something that I guess the two reasons that, that grabbed me, right? Number one, 
he had overcome, uh, you know, this really bad disease that kept him from growing. And so he had to overcome a lot. And um, he had incredible footwork. If you go to uh, just YouTube, uh, Sarajevo uh, Olympics, Scott Hamilton, a long or short program, you, they, they would show his feet and he would do these incredible things. But the other thing was he would he was he proudly said, I don't wear sequins. <laughs> and I, <laughs> oh, I like this guy. <laughs> so um, uh, well, everything you were saying goes back to association. You hang around a bunch of whiners and small thinkers again, and you try to do something big. They're going to talk you out of it. They think that you doing well makes them look bad. And so yeah. you hang around winners. They will encourage you and they'll hook you up with other people that might help you along the way. So you can't do it by yourself. You got to put yourself in that environment, like you said, right? That championship environment and, and give yourself a little time to percolate and, and, and grow. When you are a bright light, you're going to be blinding somebody, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and people don't like to be blinded. And, but That's it doesn't right. mean you shouldn't be a, a bright light. You know, right. there, there's nothing enlightened about uh, playing small to make other people feel comfortable. <laughs> and, and that's, that brings me back to the, to my opener of you have to be prepared to lose friends and it's okay. Yeah. You're going to get new ones. Oh yeah. And even if you're yeah. alone for a while, it's worth it. Oh yeah. Th think of it as an upgrade. HGTV <laughs> <It> upgrade. <laughs> you're upgrading your life. Yeah. yeah. It is yeah. exactly true. And, it's like uh, rocket boosters, you know. You're either uh, I forget. I had I have a book up there. He gives the analogy that you're a rocket, right? And that, that rocket's trying to reach that destination, that goal, that dream. And you have these chains that are holding it down. Those chains are all those bad people that are, you know, telling you who do you think you are, man? You're just, you're just a fathead. You think you're better than us? And actually, I'm thinking, yeah, I, I, I do actually, but I'm not going to tell them that. And then you got these rocket boosters, right? But those rocket boosters don't work if you're chained down. So you got to cut those chains and then look out, right? And if you hear yourself saying, but I don't have any rocket boosters, but I don't have any cheerleaders, it, that's because you're with all the anchors that are dragging you down. Yeah. You know, I always talk about uh, crab bucket theory. Uh, have you talked about that or talked about the crab bucket? I don't bucket? talk about it, but I've heard it and it's, it's, and it's a great analogy. Well, it's exactly right. And it's, and it's so, so critical in life. And it, it comes into the rule of five. Um, when the little boy's on the boat and his uh, dad says to him, just watch this, this bucket of crab, son. And this is your only job on, on the fishing boat today is to watch this bucket of crabs. And then I'm going to ask you some questions after. So really pay attention. And all day long, they'd be putting the crabs in. And every now and then, one crab is like, wait a second, this bucket is not a good place to be. I'm going to be going from the bucket to the stove. This is not. And so the rest of the crabs have no idea. But um, he tries crawling out of the bucket. And one of the other crabs that reach up, grabs him by the ass and, and pulls him back into the bucket. And that is life. Just because uh, you can see the goal, you can see the way out of the bucket and back into the ocean, um, back to safety. Doesn't mean that the other ones can see it. And it doesn't mean that they, when you're going and they don't feel that they're worth it, if they feel I'm stuck in this bucket and I'll never get out, and then they watch you trying to get out, they're going to drag you back in. This yeah. happened to me so many times. Uh, really? The first car that I got, that was a nice car, like a really nice car. I had a Jaguar S-Type. And, uh, 
And I thought everybody was like me. I was completely oblivious uh, that uh, that people would be jealous. I thought people were like me, that they'd be so happy for me. So I'm showing it off because I thought they'd think it was cool, not because I'm like, look at me. I'm like, right. I'm just, I'm sharing my bag yeah, of you're cookies. Show and tell. You're just doing show and tell. Show and tell. It's my bag of cookies. But the, I can still remember the looks on some people's faces when they saw it. It was a look of pain and hurt because I had it and they didn't because I was moving and they weren't because I had money and they didn't. Yeah. And I didn't get to keep that money. <laughs> Everything fell apart and I lost it all. But, um, and they weren't, you yep. know what? They weren't there to support me when I had it and they weren't there to support me when I lost it either. So were they really friends? Right. 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 They're just, yeah. Yep. Let me tell you about that. Uh, that flag behind me. I yeah. there, that's the um Oslo Olympics years ago. I don't even know what year it is. I should know these things. 1950 something. <laughs> but uh, I was born in Argentina. <clears throat> when I call Lake Placid and uh, trying to, you know, get them to let me learn how to luge, I happen to tell him I was born in Argentina. He gets all excited. He goes, "Man, if you'll go for Argentina, we'll, we'll help you." And I said, "Why?" Well, uh, a minute ago, you weren't going to help me at all. Why? Why? Why now? And he said, "The sport of luge is this close to getting kicked out of the Olympics. We're not global enough. It's just the U.S., Canada, and the United States, and U.S., Canada, and the United States. Wow, I, U.S. is covered already under United States. You missed that too. But in Europe, right? We're not global enough. Uh, we're recruiting. I said, really? Well, tell me more." He goes, if you'll go for Argentina, we'll train you. You'll travel with us. Uh, you'll be under our umbrella. and But you still have to, you know, we're going to have to cram for you. You're going to break bones. You're still going to have to pay the price. And you still have to qualify into the top 50. And um, and so I did. And and um, I was always around 45 in the world. And then in Vancouver, it was going to be top 40. And uh, that was going to be a stretch, right? Because I've never been there before. It's uncharted territory. Kick it up a notch. Yeah. And so I I went through the whole program. And then uh, on December 31st, before the Olympics in February, I'm number 42. I missed it by two. And so in January, I spent all of January in, in Park City training because that was the second fastest track in the world. And Vancouver to be the fastest. So I thought, yeah, I've just got to get myself, you know, uh, work on speed uh, just in case somebody might break a bone. Somebody gets hurt. Who knows? You know, uh, I need some people to get hurt so I can get bumped up to 40. <laughs> and three, three, six, no, six weeks before the Olympics, I'm speaking to a sales group in Minneapolis. And uh, they had this big banner that said, believe and achieve. And I looked at that and I, I said, man, that's a bunch of crap. <laughs> and the, man, the manager gives me this mean look. I said, look, don't. Don't tell me what you believe, okay? Show me what you believe, okay? What you do shows what you believe, not the other way around. So don't talk about it, just show me. I believe I'm going to be in the Olympics in six weeks, okay? And so you know what I did before I came down to speak to you? Because it was a ballroom in a hotel. I bought on purpose four non-refundable tickets to, to, to Vancouver for my wife, myself, and our kids on nice. purpose. I know, because if you jump, the net will appear. And I got a golf clap that day. They didn't buy it. They thought this guy must have hit his head too many times on his luge crashes, right? They didn't. And I, the didn't care. I already had my check, and I didn't care. I thought these bozos, if you don't, if you don't believe in yourself enough to 
to, to believe this message. I, I feel sorry. You're not there yet. <laughs> so anyways, I go back to the hotel. There's an email that said, it was an email from Argentina. They said, you made it. Norway, that's why I got the Norwegian flag back there. Norway decided that they had three guys that qualified in the top 40. But Norway has such a rich Winter Olympic uh, heritage that they won't send you unless you're there to medal. Okay, you got to be in the top 20 for Norway to, 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 to send you. Their standards are higher. And so you got bumped up. You're 39 now. And so, man, at the Olympic opening ceremonies, I wanted to carry the Norwegian flag. They, they helped me more than anybody. <laughs> so I got little flags like that, Norwegian flags and different. Uh, I got it next to my Nespresso machine. I got one, right? It's where I see it all the time so I don't get a fat head. I'm a four-time Olympian with a little help from my Norwegian friends. Thanks, Norway. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that'll be your third language. Learn There you learn go. Get Norwegian Duolingo. <laughs> well, I was Googling it and it says that it's the easiest of like for an English speaker, uh, it's the easiest one to learn because it's a Norway? Language. Norwegian? Is Norwegian. Really? Well, wow. that's that's what, what the Googleizer said, you know. It's uh also said wow. that there's uh, tree octopuses, so I don't know if there's anything to it or not. <laughs> huh. Wow. That's cool. The um, did you notice the difference in speed at on the Vancouver track? Like, did it yeah. feel faster? Yes. And and we get to Vancouver, and they said, uh, uh, <clears throat> by the way, right? Whenever somebody says by the way, you better brace yourself because some bad stuffs are coming, right? <laughs> he goes, by the way, the engineers messed up. It's twenty miles an hour too fast. Well, what are you gonna do? You gonna quit? No, you got to figure it out. And so they they. 95 miles an hour was fast. I mean, when you get to that bottom of that track, things are happening so fast. Um, but it, the, the cool thing about it is you go anywhere after Vancouver, it feels like slow motion. It feels like it has so much time to think. And so, um, uh, and then after the crash, you know, uh, they, they lowered men's start to ladies and they lowered ladies to, to juniors. And uh, it was still 90 miles an hour from ladies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, it was still the fastest track in the world from ladies start. What was it too fast? Was it a mistake uh, to make was it too fast? Was it a mistake to make it that fast? Well, the mistake was uh you know the, the, the walls weren't long enough, you know, high enough uh off of exit 16 where, where Nodar crashed. And um and it's the year, you know, Vancouver, it's raining all the time, right? And so the outrun, curve 16 is the last curve in, in, in that track. And then you have this really long outrun where you're just bleeding off speed going uphill slightly. And when we went to train the year before and when we went to do the, they call it a pre-Olympic race, it's kind of like a dress rehearsal, right? Make sure. So everybody, you know, are the lights working, uh, the officials, everything. It's like a test, test race, they call it. When we went, uh, some of the people wouldn't, you know, maybe they had a bad run and, and they're not going quite as fast and they weren't making it all the way to the top. And they had all these guys, you know, in, in, uh, soaking wet, right, waiting on the side to grab them. Right? Otherwise, they would, they, they, they would slide all the way back down to 16 and that's no good. And so then when you get to the Olympics, they had built a little roof over that whole section so that the track workers wouldn't be soaked and the roof is held up by those posts. And that's what he hit. I mean, if you'd have flown out and I'd never seen anybody fly out of a track in you know, my whole time doing the luge. And I was, I was there when it happened. And the first thing I thought was, man, I didn't know that was possible. And the next thought was, wow, that could have been me. Right. 
And this is a couple hours for the opening ceremonies and we're racing tomorrow morning. <laughs> and so we had to get our heads straight about that. And so, um, so yeah, it, it, it wasn't. It, and so then the next day they built like the, like a fence, right? Think of a wooden fence that, that, that goes all along the side. So you fly out, you're going to hit there, hit the wall, you know, make, might break a leg, but you're not going to die. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it was a mistake and they didn't fess up to it. They didn't handle it well. Right. They, they, they had their PR people handling it instead of, you know, and it, it was not good. It was not good. But uh, the next day. So we go to the opening ceremonies and then down in. So we're up in Whistler. We drive down two hours to ceremony. come back down. We're, we're back at the Olympic Village at one o'clock in the morning and we're racing now uh later today and a few of us sat down to talk about it to kind of you know process it right and i have a friend of mine who's kind of like my um my sports psychiatrist and uh and he called me right after it happened and he said okay ruben let's uh let's talk through this um what happened and, and i told him he was late into 16 he didn't correct and and that makes you loop, right? Have you ever seen cool runnings? You know, when you see their crash, they're looping on the on the um, uh, on the Chrysler in the Calgary track, right? They go up and they go down. They go up and they go down. They, they and they crash. And so he didn't fix it. And he was better. He was only twenty one, but he he was a really good slider. You know, for his age, he wasn't a you know he he wasn't going to win, but he was solid. And um, it caught him off guard, and he didn't react. And then he overreacted at the end and he hit the inside of the curve, bounced him out. Uh, that mistake I make almost every time on curve 16, because by then I'm, I'm late on 14, 15 and 16 because my reaction time's not there. But I, I, I mess, I have that mess up so often that I, it's a knee jerk reaction, how to fix it, right? You just crank it and get yourself back into a good line. So him being good is what, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's ironic. That's what killed him. But so, so he said, okay, so it was a fluke. I explained this to him. To, to my to Don, my, my sports psychiatrist friend. And he goes, so so basically you're saying it was a fluke. He goes, yeah, it was kind of a fluke. And um and and it's a mistake that 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 I can fix. He goes, okay. So you so if it happens to you, you got it down. Right. So there's no problem, right? Right. Okay, cool. Just wanted to get that straight. And it was like a two-minute conversation, but he he got my head straight. And uh, that night um, we all sat down, a, a bunch of the sliders sat down just to talk about it, kind of process it. We're trying to figure out, you know, are we disrespecting Nodar by racing tomorrow? And then somebody said, no, it's the opposite. We disrespect him. He died to do this. We, this is how we respect him by doing what he died to do. You remember who the next person down the chute was? Because nah, being the very first one after, after him, you know, after a death. That yes, but they really wouldn't have known. He, he he they wouldn't have known um he he might have been i i actually don't know but the worst thing that can happen to you in the luge is the guy before you crashes and it's not yeah. because you're afraid it's because see you have a, a face shield right a visor and it's good for about five minutes before it starts fogging up and because uh, we actually put you know anti-fog on it and we hold it under our arm try to keep it warm and we're we're on the inside right inside this warm place and there's a guy sitting on at the start, and there's one right behind him holding the sled, and there's one that's actually sliding. When 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 the, the slider crosses the finish line and exits the track, they say track is clear for you know Mark, right? And so now, now Mark and this light goes on, you got 30 seconds, right? It's, uh, 
30 seconds is clicking down and you have to break the light in, or if you're late, you're disqualified. You can't be late at the Olympics. And so, so he goes and he, and now the one that was standing, now he puts his sled down. He's got a couple of minutes to go before it's his turn to go. So as soon as that guy moves forward, I go outside. They weigh me to make sure I'm not cheating. They, they test the, the temperature of my steels to the, the, make sure they're within four degrees ambient temperature. Because if you heat your steels, you go too fast. And, um, and, and, but I had that under my arm. And, I'm, and it's good for a couple of minutes, right? Ten, maybe five minutes. And if it's really cold, it's not good anyways. Right? You're blowing the whole way down, making a little hole there so you can see where you're going. I mean, you really do that. <laughs> and so now the, and you have a game plan. You have a, um, a ritual that you do, always the same exact thing before you're going to take your, your run. And now the guy in front of you went and crashed. Now he messed it up because it might be five, ten minutes. And I'm sitting there. And I know I'm going to fog up. And my whole heads. So uh, even if I that person didn't get hurt, which most of the time they don't, it 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 screwed me up. It messed up my whole routine. Out of the four Olympics, was the first one the the, the most special for you, or the last one, or one in between? <laughs> my favorite. Well, well, I'll go in order. Calgary was great. Calgarians are so friendly. And I was from Houston, so it's similar, right? It's oil and, and, and cowboys, basically. And so well, next I, time you're up here, let me know. We'll, we'll, oh, we'll, grab, we'll grab a steak with you. For sure. For sure. And we'll get Jonathan, too. We'll get everybody. Uh, Christina. And so um, we um, Calgary was awesome. I mean, it was just it, it's your first one, too. So that's so exciting. The next one was Albertville, France. And Albertville, the food was the best. It was all gourmet food. They had these giant tables of cheeses. I didn't know there's so many cheeses in the world. You could eat them all if you wanted to. I mean, it was crazy. But we were not felt welcome. They, they, they didn't want us there. They had to close down the shops, and uh, they were losing money. And and they it was not neutral. It was negative. You dirty Americans. <laughs> oh, but it was everybody, right? And I, um, um, I, I would ask for... Um, Let's say you're at the Olympic Village and hey, hey, I'd go up and I'd say, hey, can I get some more shampoo and soap and I need some another towel? I am sorry for you. We cannot do this. That was your standard answer for everything. I'm, it's like they trained them to say, I am sorry for you. And um, fortunately, our race is the two days after opening ceremonies. And Pablo Garcia from Spain, my best buddy uh, back then in the loose circuit, we were so fed up with the French. We said, let's just go to Spain for a a week and a half, and we just come back for the closing ceremonies. And we both quit afterwards because of bad customer service. Isn't that crazy? Wow. I'd rather eat a burger where I'm welcome and the people are friendly than a filet mignon where they're a bunch of jerks. And so a bunch of people quit. And then Salt Lake City was amazing. That was the best. The people were so friendly. They were incredible. I mean, and what you hear all the time was, uh, how's your Olympic experience, right? The, the volunteers would ask you that over and over. And finally, I figured out, oh, they must be training them to say that. But it was such a good question. How's your Olympic experience? Because that focused them on providing a good experience. And it was better than saying, you know, how's everything going or, you know. And so that one was incredible uh, because the customer service was there. It was amazing. And then uh, Vancouver uh i just didn't feel it i don't know maybe it was it, 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 it was the wrong olympics for me or what and then especially with what happened with nodar but as soon as i walked in it was like all temporary buildings i think that's kind of threw me off you know it wasn't mm. at, at calgary it was the olympic it, it was a university of calgary right 
that's where we stayed. That was our Olympic Village. I was in the Kananaskis building. I still go there. I always go to visit my place, right? And, and um, Salt Lake City was the University of Utah, so I can go. You go to, you know, Vancouver, it's gone, you know? It's like, it looked good on TV, but it, 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 it looked fake when you were there. And the uh, the Calgary facilities are are shutting down, like the the really big ski jumps and stuff. It's it's that a too? it's a shame. Oh, it's they put so much money in there. Oh, and so I, much money. Oh, and it's, that's it's a hell of a shame. thing to drive by all the time too. You know, it's like oh, there it is. And uh, wind sport, right? Is that what? Two wind two sport. great two great movies were made about uh, uh, the Calgary Olympics. The one with the ski yeah. jumper fella, out you know, and, and then of course cool runnings. Yeah, yeah. Um, Where, where's your movie, Ruben? I got a screenplay. Just got to wait, you know, for the, somebody to want to do it. What are you so, going to call uh, it? Bulldog, Honey Badger? <laughs> well, they they decide, you know. They, you give up all rights. I might end up being a three a, a, a one-legged midget or something, but <laughs> in the movie, you know, they, they change things. In fact, I'm friends with uh, Devin. I'm, I'm going to hook you up with him. De Devin Harris was one of the original uh, Jamaican boss letters. Okay. And, uh, and so he's a speaker as well. And he lives in New York. And every time I had a gig in New York, I'd, you know, we try to get together, but he was speaking somewhere else. And finally, you know, the, the, the planets, you know, aligned and, and he was there and we got together. And the first thing I, I asked them was, uh, so which one are you, you know, are you Sanka? Are you, uh, are you a junior? Which one are you? And he goes, uh, you know, they, it's not like, the movie is not true. <laughs> they just made four distinct personalities so that so they, it would work well, right? That's what they yeah. did with Lucy. I love Lucy. It was the same thing. Four distinct personalities. So you have to, and he says, but I get, and he's a happy guy. You're going to see when you have him on your show. <laughs> he, he's just a happy guy. He's always smiling. But he, but when I am focused, I get serious and, and I'm bald. And so people uh, assume that I'm Yul Brenner, that I'm that mean one. But I'm not, you know, I'm more like Sanka, but with focus. Right? I'm not I'm not goofy like him. <laughs> so, but um, uh, yeah, they change it up. But it, it's funny when I first saw what was going on over there, because Calgary was there first. And like you said, and Eddie the Eagle and me. And so. When I first saw the, it was the Swiss mainly because the Swiss totally win in in bobsled. Um, they they have the biggest bobsled heritage, I guess. They were bullying them. I mean, I saw it at the track. They were bullying them, and it was total unolympic behavior. And after yeah, not I saw, cool. no, not cool at all. Not cool runnings at all. And uh, and so <laughs> when I uh, after I guess it was the third time when I saw it, I finally I went up to one of the guys, and it, and and it must have been Stokes because he was a big tall guy. The Stokes was their driver, the helicopter pilot. And and I asked him, man, what's it feel like? These guys are laughing at your face. And he said, we're winners. We intend to get the last laugh. And I thought, whoa, these guys are tough, right? And so I kept my eye on them. And we never see the bobsledders because the, the, those sleds tear up the ice too much. So they try to keep our circuits separate, right? Luge, okay. bobsled. So we see them again in, in Albertville. And they're pretty good now. They got four years more experience. They're, they're runners to begin with, so they're you know they're, they're probably better better athletes than the than the Swiss to begin with. But they just didn't know how to drive a sled. They didn't know how to get in. But by Alberville, they're pretty good. Nobody's laughing at their face, right? The few people laugh behind their back. That was it. Then Salt Lake City, they've been at it for almost fifteen years. They were solid. They actually beat one of the U.S. sleds. They got the movie, like you said. They were laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> so, so what I learned from these guys was average people, you know, those people you need to disassociate from 
Average people, when you tell them about your goals, your dreams, your, your ambitions, they go through three phases. First, they're going to laugh at you. Then they're going to watch you. And when you start making things happen, you know, they're going to admire you. But you'd never get that admiration if you can't handle the laughter. You got to look for the laughter. That means you're dreaming big. Yeah. And that's that's our time. Ruben, thank you so much. What a perfect, perfect place to put a pin in it. <laughs> Thanks but for having it, me. This was a lot of fun. Oh, so fantastic. A quick, quick, quick hour went by in no time at all. But uh, thanks for coming on, Ruben. Please stay on the line. You've been listening to Ruben Gonzalez on Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and Olympians. That was great. Nice. It was perfect. And it just, that just seemed like the right spot to, uh, to put a pin in it. And no, we're, good. we're about at about an hour.